Hey y'all, welcome to Adventures with Aggie brought to you by Coco's Coffee House. Today we have our first episode of the feature we're running on the England Amputee Football Association, football as in soccer for our American listeners. We're featuring Owen Coyle Jr. He's the head coach of the EAFA and he's going to tell us about his story, his upbringing, how he got to EAFA and who helped him along the way, as well as what the EAFA is working towards right now. So please welcome Owen. Owen, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. I get very good, how are you? Awesome, I'm great. I'm so excited to meet you and hear more about your story. Um, so can we just kind of get started? Can you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background on who you are and what you do? Of course, so my name's Okoa Junior. I'm 24 years old and I'm the head coach of the England Amputee National Team. Um, it's amputee football or amputee soccer, uh, depending on where you're from. And, and yeah, I help coach the team. Uh, been involved for around eight years now for amputee football. Um, it's obviously come a tremendously long way within a short period of time and I'm delighted to come on and tell a little bit of a story about amputee football and the background of it all. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Let's do it. So can you tell me about amputee football? I don't think my listeners are going to be super familiar with this, which I'm so excited to feature it as well. Um, are there any rules, I guess, that people wouldn't be super familiar with and kind of how was the league set up? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, the main rules is it's 7v7, so seven persons versus seven persons on the field of play. Uh, the, the players who are outfield players, um, so defenders, midfielders, or strikers, they play on crutches and they have one predominant leg. Obviously, they're uh, lower amputees, so lower limb deficiency or lower amputation. Uh, so they play on crutches on one leg. And if you're an upper body amputee or have an upper body limb deficiency, you play as a goalkeeper. The goalkeepers aren't allowed outside of their area because naturally having two working legs would be a massive advantage to them. So they need to remain in their area at all times. Instead of throw-ins in soccer or football, it's kick-ins. Uh, so they kick the ball in, obviously, off the line. Um, and from there, the only other major rules that people would probably be aware of, which is quite a cool rule in many ways, is if the crutch touches the ball um, intentionally, it's classed as a handball. Um, so like in mainstream football or soccer, if you were to use your hand, you get penalised, free kick penalty, depending on which area it's in. And that's the same for amputee football on soccer and usually when we put media content out there there's lots of questions and jokes and things thrown around and, and one of them is usually around the crutches and the ball are they allowed to do that and the answer is no if it's intentional then it is a free kick or a penalty so that, that's the basic rules of the game and in terms of how it's structured it's different in every country some countries are larger or smaller than one another and um, here in England we have a domestic league which is made up of eight club teams those club teams are all linked into professional football or soccer teams such as Manchester City Everton, Newcastle United, so some real big organisations that support our programme and from there the best players then go on to represent England to compete at European Championship level and World uh, Championship level as well, which we've been fortunate to do over the last 20 to 30 years. That's awesome. Is eight teams seems like a lot. Is that a lot? Are y'all like a, a big, I guess, is it like a popular thing in England? Because I don't think we have that many teams here in the U.S., yeah, no, most definitely. I mean, we are one of the, the original teams that were set up, and I believe you actually helped set the England Amputee Football Federation up uh, many, many years ago, uh, back in 1988, I think it was, um, and the charity was established from 1990. So for here, us, us here in England, we have grown it uh, considerably. We're very fortunate that we're a smaller country, so to put 
teams together to compete against each other is probably a lot easier here in England in comparison to the USA. Uh, but within uh, Europe, we're probably somewhere in the middle in terms of size of development um, because you look at countries like Turkey, Poland, um, who are actually professional paid athletes and uh, they're paid to play amputee soccer and football. So our guys are, are amateurs on the level that they don't get paid, they don't get expenses. Um, but despite that, we're actually one of the best in Europe and one of the best in the world as well. We're like second in Europe and, and sixth in the world and, and probably believe the world reflection could be better if we performed at the last championship. So um, despite not being the biggest of nations, uh, we are well into our apathy football and soccer. It's something that here in England we continually want to increase awareness of and uh, make more people informed of it, probably very similar to USA. Not many people know about it or hear about it. Um, so despite maybe having 100 and odd players playing the sport in England, it's something that we're very proud of. Uh, we've still got a lot of growth to do, still a lot of development to do uh, to, to answer that question. Yeah, sure. I mean, despite being small, I think you've had some awesome success in the last few years, which is super exciting. Um, awesome. But let's talk about the, the players themselves. So where do you find your players? Are they are they looking for you? Are they like scoping you out? Or are you recruiting these people? I guess, how do they find you? There's many, many different ways. A lot of the players we have within our system um, either come from teenage cancers, um, in many cases, or, or cancers generally, um, road traffic accidents, uh, other major injuries, uh, that, that could come about in any way and some some army and, and war veterans as well within that so it's quite a widespread naturally depending on uh, geographically where you're based the more likelihood are you are to have players from different um, backgrounds so for example if you're in a country that's uh, bordering war-torn countries then you're more likely to have more amputees playing out ultimately which is really sad in many ways but actually really positive that they've got an outlet to go and play a sport that they fall in love with and, and becomes a life in many cases and um, so yeah how we find them we, we recruit we promote particularly through social media we try to be as active as we can on that to make more people aware of it, podcasts, media opportunities to tell more people about the sport, and um, which is growing. I think both uh, this has come about mainly because a, a video went viral on TikTok, and, and, and that's how eight eight million people now know, know about us that didn't know about us before, which is amazing. So that that's one um, area that we do try to, to do well at is the awareness. Um, but again, still a long way to go. And the other challenge that we do face is around some Paralympic sports, and uh, naturally, people can go make a career for themselves in athletics or whatever it may be when once you become an amputee. Uh, so again, because we're not a professional sport, there is a lot of numbers and people we miss out on, unfortunately, through that. But ultimately, some of those still play as a hobby, some of those still come in and get involved where they can. So uh, we, we do very well for the size of size of the charity that we are um, in comparison to some big organisations. Definitely. I wanted to touch on your TikTok statement. That's how I found y'all as well. Um, <laughs> I saw y'all on TikTok and Instagram reels and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk to them. <laughs> but that's crazy. That's crazy how just one of those videos, you know, can like open up so many doors. And like, like you said, 8 million people on TikTok. That's crazy. Which is 100%. And, and, and from there, I mean, we'll be shared, but as you said, about the Instagram move, but there's some big soccer and football pages that will get 30, 40 million followers that are sharing as well. And for, for me, what I'd like to do long term is have a, a, a more better relationship with those guys to, to explain who we are, what we do, and ask them to help promote us. Because ultimately, if that's getting out in the public domain frequently, regularly, people become aware of you. And I'll take you back to the example I gave with Poland. Uh, but in Poland, if an amputee footballer walks down the street, 
People know who they are. They know their name. They know their position. They've watched them on live national television. They watch them at the World Cups. Uh, you buy a Powerade or um, equivalent bottle over there, and there's amputee football players on the label of it. So, so it's really huge in some of these countries that, that really get behind the program because how incredible and how talented these these athletes are. Um, and 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 England will no definitely want to try and grow that publicity and image so more people are aware of it. That's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. There's room for growth, right? Maybe one day yeah. we'll have that. There always is. There always is. And I'm sure this podcast will go a little bit along the way to helping us do that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's so cool. I love that. Um, awesome. Well, let's talk about you. So you're in your 20s and you're a head coach. That's kind of crazy. I haven't ever seen that before, which is so exciting. Congratulations to you. Um, but what drove you to coaching so early on in your career? Like you could have done anything, I guess, when you were, you said 19, when you were um, first affiliated with the team. So um, yeah, what, how did this, how did this happen? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, my father's always been involved in professional soccer. He's um, been involved at the top level of the game here in England. He's actually coached in MLS as well. Uh, so because of his background as a player professionally and then a, a professional coach, I've always been in around football. Most young players here in the UK, I know in America, there's such a wide variety of sports. Maybe it's not as, as such, but in the UK, Every young, not every, but a lot of young boys grow up wanting to be a professional soccer player. That's what everybody dreams of. And it's probably the same in the USA, whether it be American football or basketball, or, and in some cases, soccer, of course, as well. Um, and now females as well, which is amazing because the sport's growing, the popularity of female soccer and football's growing so much, which is wonderful. Uh, but me as a young man growing up, I always wanted to be a perfect professional football player came to the realisation at a young age that, yeah, I'm not a bad player, but it's going to be those fine margins that probably aren't going to get me to that level, unfortunately. Um, and I was, I'm quite self-aware anyway. So by the age of 14, 15, I've decided that I wasn't going to be a professional footballer. Um, I wasn't going to go down that path because I didn't feel like I would achieve what I wanted to achieve in it. But instead, I would turn my, my thoughts and um, my, my ideas into coaching. Um, so from the age of 16, when I left high school, uh, I, I decided to go in and experience coaching. I became involved in the amputee football programme when I was 16. Um, just learning, understanding more about it. Fortunately, at 17 years old, I went to the World Cup, um, which was in Mexico. Um, and when I went to the World Cup in Mexico, I was just there as a support coach, just again, getting to see all the different teams that were playing, understanding the format, understanding how everything worked. And then once I, once I went and experienced that, I came back and had a real fire in my belly to develop the programme even more. Uh, so by the time I was 19, I got offered the opportunity to become the head coach of the team, which was a, an incredible achievement, something I'm still very proud of to this day. And five years later, I'm still in the role that I'm in. Uh, I do have aspirations to go into coaching professionally uh, within the game of, of, of mainstream football and mainstream soccer. Uh, but obviously, the position I'm in, I'm very fortunate to be in it. I uh, learned a lot within such a short space of time, working with, obviously, uh, men of many, many years older than me as well with probably more life experience in many ways um, and, and to manage those characters and, and work with them and, and ultimately get the best out of them and increase the levels of performance has been something that's been a, a real challenge but a real good learning curve as well and, and we do feel like we've achieved so many special things together but probably want to go one better this current uh, summer when we go to Krakow and Poland and hopefully go on to be European champions. That's so cool that 
you knew what you wanted to do at such a young age, you know, like I still don't know what I want to do. And here we are. <laughs> but that's so cool, though. You had a lot of a lot of success and you're so young. There's so much left to do, um, which is super exciting. But um, yeah, you mentioned 2017. So I know you all had a lot of success there. Um, I guess what have you been doing to prep for this year? Yeah. Like how is I guess the last year probably hasn't been a typical training year for you guys. Um, but yeah, what are you all doing to get ready? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, a lot of our stuff has had to be adapted um, and we've had to think on our feet. We've had to be creative around what we've done. Uh, take ourselves back to March last year is when everything happened in the UK for ourselves. And the, the European Championships were actually meant to be in September last year in 2020. Um, and they got postponed because of COVID. So because of that, uh, we, we decided to build an online programme anyway. We're working hard with that up until probably around May time. And then we found out the news that it was going to be cancelled and put back a year. So at that point, we made the decision to give the players some time off after a busy six, seven months preparation period that ultimately it didn't go towards nothing, but it certainly wasn't probably how we'd hoped it was going to pan out. Uh, so we done that. And then in the summer last year, we relaunched the programme uh, around September time. And from September through to now, we've been working very hard with our players to prepare. Uh, we've got a range of different departments within the team um, and probably worth mentioning that, as I said, none of the players get paid but neither do the staff all our staff are volunteers including myself um, and we put a lot of time and work and effort into the team so we have many departments technical staff uh, sports science staff medical staff media support staff performance psychology staff that are all highly highly trained experienced uh, qualified individuals that work within the field and do it for free of time uh, voluntary and, and within all those departments we have a home-based plan that support the players to give a little bit of insight to some of that actually tonight at nine o'clock in the uk uh, we'll get an analysis meeting for an hour and 15 minutes with the players that we're looking at some clips based on a topic and theme of work that we're working on improving um, and we're, we're working with the groups and small groups to to improve that and improve their knowledge and, and challenge them, stretch them on the learnings. Uh, in addition to that, the sports science team, all our players have heart rate monitors that measure their performance and what training they're doing. And that all uploads onto the portal. So every day our sports science staff are tracking uh, players' workouts, making it sure it's aligned to their strength and conditioning programmes and always tweaking and improving that for them. So it is a really in-depth uh, team that we've got um, with real good uh, quality and, and everything that we're doing now and again in, in reflection when sometimes you do take a step back it, it does really make you kind of amazed at how much time and effort's been put into a programme that, that's completely voluntary and um, run by a charity competing against professional teams around the globe. That's awesome you know the, the passion is there I guess you know everybody's everybody's there for the same reason and they love it um, yeah that's so great that's so cool I guess it's cool to see too that y'all are actually y'all are training and like things are back and happening to a certain extent you know everybody's been shut down for so long um but yeah that's so exciting i'm excited for y'all but um i guess my next question you mentioned the paralympics invictus games are y'all associated with them in any way uh, well not directly uh, the reason being that nothing political or anything in that sense. Uh, the Invictus Games is uh, based mainly on military service. Uh, now, when, when we look at our programme, there's a lot of players within our programme that are military or ex-military, um, so it wouldn't qualify as to be a part of the Invictus. I do hope that, that one day that kind of broadens 
it's horizon somewhat and, and other sports and other teams can become involved in that. I think it's a fantastic initiative, a great programme um, and something a lot of our guys watch and are interested in. And then on the Paralympic front, uh, that's more to do with the worldwide um, organisation of soccer and football, amputee football and soccer. Um, so we need more continents to develop their game. We need more people playing. We need more structure around what we're doing within the World Organised Federation. And I think you mentioned at the beginning around what Rick Hoffman, who's done a fantastic job over many years, um, and the new committee has actually been elected um, over the last six months or so, um, which unfortunately to currently sit on at the moment in terms of a world level as well to support and help advise the development of the sport and the growth on a world level. Um, and we're hoping that some of the things that have been lacking, um, mainly through lack of support um, on a world level, will now get a committee in place that's going to help drive that forward with some new fresh ideas and, and put everything in place that needs to be in place to develop the sport and hopefully one day get into that Paralympic Games. Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready for the growth. I want to see more people be involved. <laughs> I think, like, it's also so cool to see, like, everybody knows, like, football is, like, the universal sport, right? Like, everybody knows about it to, to a certain extent. Maybe here in the U.S. might be a little bit of an exception, but um, I think that's so cool to see that there are these organizations for that because, like, as far as I'm, as far as I know, I don't think there's one of these for American football or, like, uh, I guess there's one for baseball, actually, but, like, there's, it's so it's so inclusive, which I love about the football world. Um, like you were saying, the relationship between the mainstream soccer teams as well, like they do make it a priority to have these club level teams to include amputee, which is so cool. Um, and I think that that just shows the power. Of, everybody always says, you know, the power of football. Like, I don't know what that means sometimes, but like this is kind of what it means. <laughs> Yeah, I think around the, the globe that, that people say that football or soccer is a universal language and, and in many ways it is um, and I've got no doubts there's other sports that do phenomenal jobs if I'm being really honest with you I, I am a wooden sport person I love soccer I love football and I can't see past that so I do take a big interest in other sports I've actually got a, a sports management business I run myself and look after professional athletes in different sports um, but football and soccer is where my passion lies and what I absolutely love and I always take uh, the game of amputee football and amputee soccer um, and compare it to the women's game um, and the reason for that is the women's game probably about 10-15 years ago was not really well known I mean USA were probably the trailblazers at developing the women's game and, and making them so um, so fantastically uh, prioritised in the country making people aware of their successes um, and now football and soccer around the globe for women is, is something that many people are involved in which is wonderful and for me I would like to think the same with disability not only amputee football obviously there's many different disciplines of disability soccer and football cerebral palsy blind uh, power chair I could go on all day but, but the hope is actually one day all those impairment groups will be recognised and amputee football being one of them will be recognised by many people around the world and have a good understanding of how the game works who plays it and how to get involved sure yeah I was actually going to ask you that are there is is your team co-ed like are there women on your team as well or is there a separate situation for them no, women are, women are allowed to play amputee football and soccer into, all the way up to international level. Again, the hope is for the game one day to develop um, female-specific teams. Um, but obviously, as you said, the, the beautiful thing about our game is it's inclusive to all and it's open to all. So anybody who wants to play that, more than welcome. Here in England, we've got two females that play within our domestic league, um, which, which are fantastic. Um, and on an international level, I think we've played against Republic of Ireland and um, a female player in it a number of years ago. And most recently, in 2018, we played against Uruguay with the female playing international level as well, which was phenomenal as well. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, cool. Okay. So just a couple more questions for you, but um, I'm, I'm excited about this question, but what is, what would you say to someone who's never watched amputee football before? Like they're about to turn on a match. Or they're about to come to a match or something. Like, I know I would say like, it's really cool. And like, it's crazy to watch sometimes. Cause like they're moving so fast. And like, I was even speaking to somebody about the goalkeeper and how, like, if they fall, like they, they can't catch themselves sometimes, which is crazy to think about. Um, but I guess what, what would you say to them? You already kind of explained the rules and stuff like that. Um, yeah. What would you say? I would just say be very open-minded and, and just sit down and, and be open-minded around watching it. Uh, you've said everything yourself, it's fast-paced, it can be aggressive at times, which for a viewer, as a neutral viewer, is very exciting when you see people crashing against each other with crutches in one leg. It's it's, it's crazy as it sounds, um, but no, it's very fast-paced, the players are technically gifted, uh, they're high-performing athletes at international level, um, so my advice, like any sport, would be open-minded, uh, ask questions about it, go and learn and research and listen to podcasts, read websites, everything you need to do to, to upskill yourself so you understand the sport. And, and once you get a real good understanding of the laws and regulations and the, and the rules, which are pretty simple to follow, as I explained to before, um, you, you, it's something that I think a lot of people really, really would get into. And again, I'll take you back to Poland, but it's on national TV. There's a lot of people that get behind and support their, their amputee national team when they're playing. And, and that's because they're falling in love with the sport. Um, and the, for me, there's no reason why that can't happen around the globe. Yeah, let's be more like Poland. I like that. <laughs> cool. Um, awesome. Well, what's next for you and the team? What do y'all have coming up? I know you mentioned some sessions that y'all have today. And um, yeah, what are you focusing on right now? Yeah, so at the moment, um, England and the UK is still in a lockdown, unfortunately. Um, we're not uh, able to leave the house and things like that. So our actual training in person is still on pause. Uh, since March last year, we've managed to do three training camps. Uh, so the country did open up at one point and we managed to get a few sessions in and then things have been closed back down again, unfortunately. But again, we've been adaptable to it. We've got our online training programs in place with everything I mentioned before, online analysis, sports science, uh, performance psychology, reviews, meetings, uh, workshops, etc. Uh, so in the meantime, up until things do ease, that's all going to continue. Uh, once the ease of lockdown does happen, we'll hopefully get back to doing our training camps as well and get to see each other in person and actually get back working on the ground. One of the biggest challenges we face is around Europe. There's many countries that are already doing that. So some, some, to some degree, we're at a disadvantage. Um, but it's something that we look favourably upon. It's a real good challenge to actually go, you know what, you guys have been training for two, three, four months extra than us and, and we've not been able to, but we're actually that skilled and that that able that we've gone above and beyond in a different way and made sure that we are training and we're going to meet the, the necessary demands to become European champions. So that's all in place just now. That will continue until lockdown eases. And then once lockdown does ease, uh, the hope is to continue with elements of that programme and marry that up with actually training in person. And hopefully, fingers crossed, get away to a couple of countries to play some friendly fixtures before the European Championships in September. Yeah, I think if anything, this time of lockdown has made us realize how how much we love teams, you know, like how much we love being together and stuff like that. Because like it's hard, I think, for team sports to try to have that same camaraderie over Zoom like this, whereas if you have an individual sport, right, like not that much has changed, I guess. Like they can go, go train on their own with their coach or something and then you're fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard and especially if your lockdown has been so, so long, I know the U S has kind of, uh, gone back and forth, I guess, in different parts of the country. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen crazy zoom workouts and people lifting 
tables and like things just to try to get some weight. <laughs> uh, most definitely at the beginning of the lockdown, some to, to still some degree, which I think you'll like, we actually had the crutches. So all the players have spare crutches that you use. And we got um, a shopping bag, and filled the shopping bag with whatever they, they could put in for, for the weight that was necessary on either side and tied the shopping bag up. So it acted as a barbell. So they were doing squats and everything with their, their crutch barbell, which was quite creative and quite new. So again, it's always coming up with new ideas and things that work and uh, fit the circumstances you're in. So we'll certainly try to do that where we can. Definitely. Yeah. Innovation, experimentation, you know, the favorite words of 2020, you know, <laughs> adapt, be flexible, all of those things. <laughs> but so cool. So cool. Awesome. Um, okay. So if somebody's listening to this, they want to get involved. I do have a significant listener base, I guess, in England. Um, what's kind of the criteria to play and where would they go to get in touch with you? Any player that has an amputation of a deficiency would be encouraged to get in contact with us if you get an interest in soccer and football, even if you don't, and it's more of a social aspect, you want to meet people that have been through similar circumstances to yourself or even learn more about the sport. First of all, if you visit our website, which is www.theafa.co.uk, uh, that can be found on Google or, or on any of our social platforms. And then from there, uh, there's a contact page to get in touch with myself um, or Dave Tweed, who helps also run the day-to-day operations of charity um, and then we'll point them into the, the necessary area um, at a local level and hopefully one day might even see them at the national team um, and at the same time if people don't know how to access the website we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, TikTok now so we're, we're on everything um, although I don't think I've appeared on a dance yet on TikTok which I don't think I'll be doing anytime soon um, but yeah all, on all those platforms if you type in amputee football or England amputee football then, then usually it'll come up straight away and you'll be able to have a look at what we're doing again get in touch through that. Awesome highly recommend the TikTok follow it's really exciting <laughs> I love that um, awesome okay I, I end all of my shows on advice so um, what piece of advice would you have to people who are looking to make a career in coaching or in football to some extent? Um, what advice would you give them? I, th I think the best advice is to go and, first of all, take, take the plunge and do it, uh, which is usually the advice that everybody gives. Um, but something that may be different that most people might not have heard or thought of before is, is the big piece around self-reflection and really understanding where you're at, what it is you're looking to achieve and, and why you're doing it. Um, and I think many people get carried on away on the journey of what they're doing without understanding why they're doing it and always reflecting on that why. Um, but also having that self-reflection piece that, no matter who you are, whether you're Jurgen Klopp, manager of Liverpool FC, or you're myself, you, you can always do better. You can always improve and use your resources to educate yourself and tap into experts in your area and even experts out of your area that can relate to some of your work and to better yourself. And that's something that I've learned, particularly over the last two or three years, that there's always that development improvement take place all the time. And the more you're aware of that and the more you're aware of the areas you do need to improve specifically, the better you become. I think that's great advice. And that can be applied to so many things as well. Like not just coaching, just life advice, life advice with Owen. Here we are. <laughs> Doing a podcast. <laughs> yes. It's perfect. Great way to end. Um, awesome. Well, Owen, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for sharing your story and introducing us to uh, your team and all the awesome things that you've done. Thank you very much for all your time. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, Owen. Really appreciate you sharing your story and talking a little bit about your adventure to the EAFA. Next, we have on Wednesday, Sean Jackson. Sean is a player for the England Amputee Football Association, and he's going to tell us about his story and how he got there. So tune in on Wednesday.